right, Jen Cooper, the keeper here, ready for the next episode of the Mixed Zone Women's Soccer Podcast. This is episode number 331. And with that number, we'll give a shout out to Red Bull Arena in Harrison, New Jersey. The average attendance for all U.S. Women's National Team games at Red Bull is 22,331. The U.S. Women have played their World Cup send-off game at this venue three times before 2011, 2015, and 2019. And this Sunday, the venue will host the final regular season NWSL game of 2021, which will be Gotham FC hosting Racing Louisville. That one will be on CBS Sports, so you definitely want to watch that one. So two great chats for this episode. First, I spoke with long-term broadcaster J.P. Della Camera, who will be calling Carly Lloyd's final U.S. Women's National Team game uh, tomorrow, as in October 26th. And also spoke with Josh Toll, my fellow NWSL broadcaster. He's the play-by-play to my analyst. Uh, we talked about uh, the final push of this season, thoughts going into the offseason with expansion draft and college draft not far away. And then the Jensplainer segment for this episode, uh, giving you as simple of a breakdown as I can for each club that's still in contention uh, for the playoffs or still fighting to get um, a semifinal seed. And of course, don't forget to follow me on Twitter, two accounts at MixZone with two X's and at Keeper Notes. So enjoy these chats. All right, Jen Cooper, the Keeper here with JP Della Camera, broadcaster extraordinaire who is going to be the announcer on Tuesday for Carly Lloyd's final international game, final game in a USA jersey. JP, uh, you've, you've been through this before. You've been through some big retirement games before. I mean, do you does your prep change at all when you're approaching a game like this? Or do you just try to go, hey, this is just another game? Yeah, I think, Jen, the prep doesn't change, right? You still study like you would for any game. But I recognize that the game here is secondary, right? It's not a meaningful game. It's a friendly. And, right. and this is Carly Lloyd's last game with the national team. So um, everything else is really secondary. So I'm still studying for the game like I normally would, but I know we'll be doing a lot of talking about Carly. I, I remember when four of the U.S. all-time greats retired at the same time. I want to say it was 2004. I just remember that it was at what was then Home Depot Stadium, Right, December Carson, 2004, California. yeah. Yeah, I mean, Mia was re- retiring, Julie Foudy. You remember, you know, the names um, better than I would, Joy Fawcett and was it Scurry or there was one other the, those were the that... Those were the three announced. It ended up being the last game for, for Brandy Chastain and Cindy Parlow, but they, they weren't yeah. planning to but retire re- at that point. Right, right, right. But I remember that game and thinking that, you know, Nobody really cares about the results of the game. You know, they were all going there to to say goodbye to those legendary players. And as I remember, they all were subbed out, as you would expect. You know, right. they had a nice curtain call, nice ovation from the crowd. So, I mean, it's the same. It'll be the same in Minnesota with Carly. Um, yes, I'm calling the game. Yes, I'm studying for the game like I normally would. But I do recognize that the real story is Carly, not the USA versus South Korea. 
And I, I always appreciate when we have games like this, we know in advance that, you know, it's a player's last game. So they can be celebrated. And I don't think people understand how rare that is because most soccer players are not going to get to decide when their last game is right. And, and we don't have a culture yet in the USA of testimonial matches, right. Where you get together all your current and former teammates and play a really fun game, right? Like this is a real match. It's not like South Korea has to lose, right. They, they've got their own, they've got their own things to play for. Um, but you know, I appreciate as, as someone who's been watching for a long time and can clearly remember Carly Lloyd coming onto the field for her first cap in July, 2005, you know, um, in the match that was also like, uh, I think, yeah, Tiffany Milbert scored her, her hundredth goal, you know, that, that it's like, wow, to be able to recognize a career like that, um, for her, but also recognizing, I think that this is very much, an end of an era. Like we are not going to have players anymore and we shouldn't um, mm. end up with this many caps. Yeah, no, we definitely won't have, have uh, players with that many caps for sure. It is an end of an era. You know, I've had the good fortune of, of broadcasting games for so long that I've, I've got to call games for really the all time greats. Right. And the all time greats, at least in the women's, uh, soccer area have pretty much called their own number, right? In terms of retiring, uh, Mia Hamm still had something left in the tank uh, when she announced that that she was retiring. I think Michelle Akers probably still had something in the tank, but <clears throat> she was so badly injured throughout her career that um, she probably didn't have as much left, maybe as, as right. Mia had or, or Julie Foudy or others. But it's great that they can call their own number. It's great that they can go out on their own terms rather than someone saying uh, you're not going to make the next Olympic team or you're not going to make the next World Cup team or you're too old to play for me. We want to go younger. We want to go faster. Uh, we want to go more athletic. Whatever they say, um, these players have been able to say they're done on their own. And I think that's one of the great things about Carly. I can tell you this, and it's not my opinion. I, I would say it's factual. She has still more to give. I mean, I've watched her play in the NWSL. I watched her play with the U.S. national team. She could still play if she wanted to. This is her decision, and it's great that she was able to make it on her own. I was thinking, like, you know, okay, it's probably time to step down from the international play, but I I agree with you. She's got something more to give. I was thinking, hey, you could probably go a couple more seasons in NWSL, especially the way that, uh, you know, the Gotham rebrand and and moving to Red Bull arena and the way that club has elevated itself in such Mm -hmm. a short time. Um, But of course there's always, you know, it's like when you throw being a mom in there, obviously that, you know, that changes everything, but I would not be surprised if in a couple of years, suddenly Gotham's like, Oh, we're going to sign Carly Lloyd again because you know, she had a couple kids and now she wants to come, come back and play. And I, and I think that would be awesome because now that we have, you know, a league that's lasted this long and is starting to see more expansion, like there is somewhere for those players to go and play that doesn't require being on the road 200 days a year. Right. Which historically, playing for the national team has meant a pretty grueling right. travel schedule. Uh, but I totally yeah. agree with you. She, she has something more to give. And, and I feel like she more than a lot of national teamers really benefited from that pandemic year 
um, in that it let her recover from all kind of nagging injuries, um, you know, had clearly had some family time, some personal time, some mental health time, like, yeah, you know, that, that I think that, that really helped her in a way that I don't think any, any of us would have anticipated. Yeah. She is in the most comfortable place I have ever seen her in. If there is a chip on her shoulder, it is a soft chip, you know, that we don't see because I think playing with a chip on her shoulder has always benefited her, right? It's made her a better player. It's made her tougher for opponents to play against, right? I mean, she used that as fuel for her game, but she's got her family back in her life now. I think she's come to terms with the fact that she was able to retire under her own terms and that this is the right time, the right place, the right way to go. And so I think she'll miss it. You know, I'm not saying she won't, but I think that, that she has recognized all of this. She has processed all of this and she's in a very, very good place right now to say goodbye. And we've seen big names like Carly over the years come back into the game, like Cindy Parlow, president of U.S. Soccer, Kate Margraff, general manager, right? We, we've seen a lot of them mm-hmm. involved in, in broadcast. How would you see Carly's post-playing career panning out? How, how well, would she be involved in soccer? Yeah, that's a very <laughs> good question. First of all, uh, when I asked her, you know, what, what she wanted to do, she said she doesn't really know. I think she's going to get offers to do things, and there could be multiple offers. I mean, she could probably make a great living just on speaking engagements. Who wouldn't want to hear from Carly Lloyd, you know, at, right. a, at a sports convention or at a, um, a major corporation, you know? Um, how, how did she get it done? You know, how was she so successful in her career? You know, she could write about it. She could um, she could decide to go into broadcasting if she wanted. She could decide to go into coaching. We never know. You know, the great players, some of them struggle to be coaches. But I'm just thinking, how good would it be for for some team to hire her? She knows all about what it takes training-wise, you know, to, to get your body in the best shape physically to get it in the best shape mentally, would it be a better one-on-one trainer than Carly? You know, if somebody wanted to hire her for that, I mean, I, I think the sky's the limit. I think that, like I said, she will have offers. She'll have some decisions to make, but I, I think she could still make a very good living and also make a very good impact if she stays in the game of soccer. Well, one thing I've always wondered about with former players, especially at, at that level, Uh, coming off of the U.S. national team is a lot of the big stars. We don't see them go into coaching, whether it's because by the time they retired, you know, they haven't had a chance to work on any coaching licenses, have had no um, practical coaching experience. Right. So you're kind of starting Mm -hmm. from scratch at at, at a later time, you know, Um, and, you know, coaching college is one thing. Coaching in the pros is still a very new, (laughs) somewhat unexplored territory you know but it's, it was like i'd love to see uh you know more bigger names from the national team getting into coaching it's not that there aren't former world cup champions that are coaching in college right but but yeah. it's not it's you know it, it's not the big names who whose names automatically shine a really huge light on the fact that they're coaching that makes sense yeah maybe the big names <laughs> realize how difficult it is and they want no part of it. I I don't know, you know, but 
Like, I I'm understand that. The, the big names, right? I'm, I'm thinking of the big names. Like, like Mia Hamm never showed any interest in coaching, right? Like she was never on anyone's staff, never, you know, she right. walked away from it. And, you know, she raised the family. She's now she's involved camps, right, with, but not yeah, coaching. Yeah. Yeah. But she's involved with um, Angel City, right? As, as one of the owners, uh, LAFC, right? As, as one of the owners. So she, mm -hmm. she's still involved in the game but wanted nothing to do, you know, with, with coaching and some of the other ones, right. Michelle Akers doing something else, Julie Foudy broadcasting, right. Um, players have taken different paths. Some of them have still stayed in the game and the, you know, the soccer camp um, profession is, um, is very rewarding for them you know, financially. So it makes sense to do that. But, but coaching is hard, you know, coaches are hired, coaches are fired. And, um, you know, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. Besides what you said, you know, getting the license and, you know, you, you need someone to hire you. Are you going to be given a head coaching job first or do you have to work your way up? But I think there'll be some national team players. I think that will get into coaching, but it may not be, you know, the big name, you know, the superstar name, it might be someone else. Right. But I, I guess I'm still waiting for that, you know, the the Zinedine Zidane of women's soccer who says, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to coach Real Madrid. But, yeah, that's yeah. a good one. Uh, that's a nice <laughs> reference. Very nice reference, actually. Yeah. I mean, we might be waiting for that for a while. You know, yeah. we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Well, and talking about former players going into broadcasting, you know, you've been part of the U S soccer broadcasting landscape for so long. You've seen a lot of former players make the transition from mm -hmm. player to analyst. Like, like how do you assist them with that transition? Do you just wait for them to ask you for help? Or, I mean, I would assume, especially the early years, you were just thrown somebody who had no practical experience, but you know, clearly knew the game. Yeah, I'm just thinking back, Jen. You can probably name some analysts that I've worked with, but I mean, I'm off the top of my head, I'm just thinking about Wendy Gabauer and Amy Allman, you know, right. currently Allie Wagner, um, Kate Marcraft. I'm I'm missing people here as I'm as I'm trying to Julie Foudy, of course. You know, I, I work with. Um, and now, I, now you I'm, called the game last weekend with Lori Lindsay, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I mean, I'm sure I'm, I'm missing names, so I apologize for that. But um, I always, I always talk to them like I talk to their male counterparts the same way. I, I tell them, you know, how I'm going to call the game that I leave space for them. Um, I'll ask them questions, you know, on air if. If I don't hear from them enough, uh, feel free to jump in whenever. You know, I try to give them confidence with that. And I, I try to give them, you know, pointers on on things that that they're supposed to do in terms of, you know, critiquing the game, um, making your comments in a concise way, uh, being fair and balanced, little things like that. But I got to tell you, all, all of the women that I've worked with have all been very good. They all had, you know, Brandy Chastain's another one now that I think of it. See, there'll be more names coming in my head and somebody's going to listen to this and say, hey, he forgot me. But, I mean, they were all talented. They were all skilled. Um, so I, I credit them, you know, more than what I'm doing for them. You know, somebody like Allie Wagner um, came in late, right? 2015 was the first time that 
Um, we had seen her. She started to work for Fox at the World Cup, and I wasn't even working with her then. I worked with her after that, and you know she's the one that I've worked with now since since 2015. So I think the longer you work with somebody, the better you know the better it sounds. You know, you complement right. each other more, right? So I think uh, Allie and I have had a good run since 2015, and hopefully it keeps going. Well, and can you remember um, the very first U.S. Women's National Team game that you called for TV? Wow. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm only uh, guessing I'm, that yeah. I, I think I saw something that like, I think it was the 1995 game at RFK after that summer's Women, Women's World Cup that I think was the first televised live game. And I think it was you and Amy Almond and I, and it was USA Norway. Yeah. I mean, I remember seeing a note that was, that was like the first live broadcast. Yeah. So I wonder if that would yeah. have been, I would say, I would say this, Jen, you probably remember more of my games than I do <laughs> um, because I've done, I've done so many, right. But yeah. you're more focused on the women's game and you would remember those more. But I, re- I remember for sure, you know, I did the 1995 women's world cup in Sweden. Right. And I'm, I'm sure I did games before then. So probably I think my first U S game, if I had a guess, I'm going to say 93, possibly uh-huh. 94, but no, I think it was 93. I think it was 93 that I started doing women's games, but I don't remember, you know, what that first one was, but I would say whatever it was, we have all come a long way since then. <laughs> A long, long way. Well, it's you know the same that, thing. Anytime did, I see Rob Stone on the the desk for Fox Sports, I yeah. kind of get a giggle because I think of I think of him being on the sideline for so many U.S. women's friendlies in the late yeah. '90s, early 2000s. Dan, do you know that when we did the World Cup in '95 in in Sweden, we had a contract to do the games for ESPN, and I forget the number. I think it was six games total. You know, whatever it was, the thought was, we're just going to follow the U.S. team to the final, right? To the final. And when they lost uh, to Norway, right? And they never, Uh they never, they never got to the final. The the question became, now what do we do? You know, the contract was only for so many games. So do you do that last USA game? which was not the final, right? It was the third place game. Correct. What do you call the final? We couldn't even do them both, right? And somebody way above my pay grade said, uh, stay with the U.S. game. So we never did the final. Could you imagine doing a World Cup today, women or men, where you don't do the final or where you only do U.S. games? I mean, that's why I say we've come a long way, right? Women's games, men's games, we do them all. And we do them all live now. And that wasn't always the case. Certainly it wasn't the case back in the 90s. And, and the World Cup I did for Turner in 1990 on the men's side, I don't think we did more than 20 games. Well, now, and, and that's a great you, you segue. That's a great segue because um, with Marla Messing being hired as the interim CEO of NWSL, one of the things mm-hmm. that I've told a lot of people, I'm like, you don't understand. She's the reason that the 99 World Cup was as successful as it was, that every game was televised live, either on ABC, ESPN, or ESPN2. And, you know, she and the host committee convinced FIFA 
no, we're not going to do this only on the East Coast in five to 10,000 seaters. We're going to do this right. across the whole country using the stadium infrastructure that this big country has and make it as big as we can. You know, that, that Sweden tournament in 1995, total attendance was 112,000. Five months before the 99 World Cup, they had already sold 200,000 tickets. So mm-hmm. when I heard the news that Marla Messing was, was hired for interim CEO, I'm like, yes. Yeah, I think it was I think it was huge. Um, I gave Marla the credit and I'm sure she had other people around her that were, you know, giving her good opinions, too. But I I gave her the credit mostly uh, from the thought of playing in smaller stadiums to going for the big stadiums and going after it. Right. When I was in Sweden, lovely country, nice people, but you would never have known there was any kind of a tournament taking place. I mean, there were no, there were no signs around. And I was in many cities there. There were no real big signs, uh, groups of fans like we see at at other World Cups. Uh, Advertising was minimal, you know, hotels didn't have things there. It was like there was a World Cup there, but nobody knew about it. We were playing in high school stadiums. There was only one stadium. I think it was the, um, the stadium that, that Hammerby uses, if I'm not mistaken, there was only like one stadium there that you would say, well, that's a decent, you know, that's a decent stadium. It's not a high school stadium. And this is for a World Cup. You know, you'd go into the media center and there were a handful of people. And so somebody, and I gave that credit to Marla, had to say to FIFA and everyone else, we can do the big stadiums. You know, we're, we're a big time sports country. Americans love big time events. And I don't know, did Marla know we could sell out the Rose Bowl? I have no idea, right? <laughs> but we did, right? And, and I, I give her the credit to have that foresight, you know, to be able to look ahead and say, we can do this. And the staff that she had with her was great as well. And let's face it, the USA had a great story. Media picked it up and, and it became um, the biggest event in the history of women's sports in this country. One of the things that I remember so clearly is how far in advance I bought my tickets because there was grassroots advertising everywhere. So, you know, I'm seeing ads in Soccer America, uh, you know, the adult rec league that I played in was, you know, getting information shared. And this is, you know, pre-social media, very, very early online. So me and a group of friends, we bought the... Bay Area package at least six months before yeah. before that. And so we got like a first round double header, a quarterfinal double header, and the semifinal um, you know, at, at at Stanford, right? Like, but like that's how like that kind of vision, long term planning, all that stuff. That's what I'm so hoping that we're finally gonna get to see NWSL benefit from, right? Yeah. I hope Marla is interested in it. Uh, as more than interim, because yes. I, I think she's a, a terrific leader. I think she is what the league really needs. I think she gives it credibility. She gives it um, she gives it so much that I, I hope she does want to stay on there. And I think people would respect her. Players would respect her. Owners would respect her. Coaches, media. Uh, so I think she's the right person. 
if she wants to do this. I, I have no idea if she wants this just as an interim, if she's doing it just to help them, you know, move transition. Forward. Yeah. Or, yeah. I have no idea. You know, uh, my hope is that she wants to do it on a full time basis because I think she would be the perfect person to lead this group into uh, prosperity. Well, last question for you, JP, because you have been calling um, some NWSL games this season, and I don't think you've called NWSL before this year. Am I correct? Uh, you are correct. Yeah. But but you called, you know, WSA back in the day. I'm not sure if you ever called WPS. I know they had a really strange erratic no. uh, broadcast no. schedule. So it's like... What is that like for you to kind of come full circle having called the inaugural match for WSA, you know, more than 20 years ago and to, to be mm. back on some club games? I mean, I know you call a lot of club soccer, you know, you call the union, yeah. you called a lot of other stuff. But what is that like to transition from, you know, some of these players so well, but you're so used to calling them in a USA jersey? Yeah, I think it's. First of all, I think the league is great. I, I enjoy doing the NWSL games that I have done this year. Um, hope to do you know as many as I can and going into next year as well. Um, I like to follow the progress of the, the players when they were much younger to the point where they are now. Like you had referenced before, calling Carly's first game and now calling her last game. That's a span of how many years? You know, that's that's Six, a lot. Sixteen right? she years. Was like a she was like a baby. Yeah. And now she's now she's grown up. You know, so I mean, it's it's things like that. Um, you know, you know, you're getting older when you broadcast a game where uh, John Harks is playing. Then you're broadcasting a game, and John Harks is your broadcast partner. Then you're broadcasting a game where John Harks' son is playing. Ian Hart, you know, for <laughs> at that time, DC United. So that's how you know you're getting older. You know, it, it's not looking at your license and seeing the date and realizing, oh, another year passed. It's when you're calling games and, and you see players and they have sons or daughters that are now playing and, and you're calling those games. That, that, that brings a smile to my face. I'm still waiting for my first end of result draft where a daughter of a former player gets drafted. Um, Joy Fawcett's, Joy Fawcett's daughter was age eligible a couple seasons ago, but wasn't, you know, wasn't a starter enough at UW to get time. Tina Ellerton's yeah, daughter, Tina Ellerton's daughter, when she comes out in two or three years, I bet, mm -hmm. I bet she will be, be the first, yeah. but yeah, it's that, it's that generational growth that uh, I think, for old farts like us is, is rewarding that it's like, wow, all yeah. of this groundwork that was laid, it's still going. The momentum is, right. is still going. Right. And, and it's nice to see the NWSL um, become the longest running women's soccer league that we've ever had. You know, the other two leagues had various problems. Most of it was financial. There were other problems, you know, from the managerial structure in it as well. But, you know, this this one, this model was built more for sustainability, especially at the start with, you know, U.S. soccer uh, coming in and at one time Canada and Mexico paying for players. Uh, Mexico doesn't do that anymore, but USA and Canada still do. So I think I think part of that model still remains, and that's been helping this league to go as long as it has. And I'll just finish with this last thought that I feel like 
if either of the the previous leagues in their their third year, because they each only lasted third year, had to deal with everything that's happened in NWSL in the last three plus weeks, even three plus months, really, yeah. you know, yeah. I don't th- I don't think they would have made it. And one thing that gives me a lot of hope is, yes, yeah, some horrible, horrible things have been happening this year, but it seems like you know, the problems are being dealt with. They're not necessarily solved yet, but, but they're being admitted. They're being dealt with. Right. You know, the players, even the non-national team players, you know, we're seeing them come together in a way that we've never seen before to fight for the future of their own league. And that just makes me so happy. Yeah. We need to fix this as obvious problems. Um, You could do a podcast, you could do 10 podcasts and still wouldn't be able to cover all of what you're talking about but i think that both sides are talking the players have more leverage now which is a good thing and and i think that you know we've got to take the bad characters out of the game Uh, i'd like to say out of society Uh, out of the game for sure but also out of society and, and make it a safer place for everybody that's the goal right but it's good that both sides are now talking i know the players made some demands it seems like nwsl is very much listening to the players. I think when there's dialogue, there is hope and they'll get through this. They'll become better because of all of this dialogue, I think. Um, but it was so sad to read all of that stuff. You know, I applaud Meg Linehan, uh, the courage of the players for coming out the way they did. Meg and her, her other staff contributors for putting out that story the way that they did, because that's the first step in getting rid of this problem is exposing the problem. So, so far to go, but I feel like we've come so far just, just in the last month. Well, JP, thank you so much for taking the time to chat Woso with me. You know, I always enjoy it and I hope you have a great time calling Carly's final international game. Thank you so much, Jen. I'm looking forward to it. Time for a little gensplaining. Today's topic, playoff possibilities. This is the latest NWSL has ever gone without having the playoffs pretty much wrapped up. Um, It just shows you how competitive this league is and how strange, of course, the up and downs of this season have been. So, of course, Portland, sure, they're in. They've already clinched the NWSL Shield. It's their second in club history, so they're the number one seed. So they will host one of the two semifinals on Sunday, November 14th. OL Reign, they have clinched a playoff berth, and they could clinch the number two seed if they win or draw a Kansas City this weekend, or if Spirit and Gotham don't catch them. Now, the Spirit have already clinched a playoff berth, their first since 2016. They still have a chance of hosting a semifinal, um, but they would need to win at home this weekend and the rain would need to lose Um, and they would need Gotham not to win out. So otherwise they will very likely host a quarterfinal, but basically at this point, it's still down to rain spirit and Gotham for who can get that semifinal Chicago. They're on the verge of clinching. There's just like one or two scenarios of the scenarios remaining that can keep the red stars out of the playoffs, even if they lose. Um, And they have a good shot at hosting a quarterfinal bottom line. 
a win puts them in, a tie puts them in, a lose, a, a loss, it depends. Um, Gotham, of course, they still have two games to play due, the, due to the reschedule of the game in Louisville. They really only need two points out of their last two matches uh, to clinch, but they could even host a playoff game for the first time in club history if they win out or at least get one win combined with other favorable results. They could even get a semifinal. So um, Gotham, it's it's in their control. Um, they could finish much higher than than it looks like they could, right? Like they've had games in hand for a while now. Um, so don't count them out in the standings. The Houston Dash, they'll know before they play on Sunday what they need to clinch their first ever trip to the playoffs. If North Carolina loses at Portland Saturday night, the Dash will be in the playoffs. A winner draw by the Courage Saturday means the Dash have to get the equivalent result at Washington to make the playoffs because Houston holds the head-to-head tiebreaker versus North Carolina. Even though North Carolina has a better goal differential, the first tiebreaker is head-to-head. Houston won both meetings against North Carolina. So as long as Houston matches North Carolina's performance this weekend, they'll make the playoffs. Now, the Courage, on the other hand, they have to exceed Houston in points to reach the playoffs because of that tiebreaker. So if they tie at Portland, they need Houston to lose. If they win at Portland, they'll clinch as long as Houston ties or loses. I hope that's understandable. Um, It'll get easier after the Thursday game and then after the Friday game. Of course, bottom line, by Sunday night, we'll know the whole setup for the playoffs. We've got first round on... November 7th, semifinals on November 14th, and the championship game Sunday, November 20th. All right, Jen Cooper, the keeper here with Josh Toll, my partner in soccer announcing whenever I'm in Florida. Josh, um, how many seasons is this for you now announcing NWSL? I'm trying to remember, like, did you start in 2017 when we started doing national streams? Yeah. So I got a handful of games in 2017 and then I was brought on full time in 2018. So yeah, it's been, it's been five seasons now. So I bet. Although I went, guess four, if you if we technically count Challenge Cup and what it was last. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I bet if we if we go back and count, like you probably you know you have the most caps for um, NWL announcer <laughs> since since 2017. Well, and that's why I wanted to to get your thoughts as we go into the, the final weekend of of end of your cell which as you've been saying on air it's like four game four days in a row um that we've got that we've got games because of that reschedule of louisville versus gotham you know i i love it so so what are you most looking forward to going into this final weekend i mean we've never had a weekend like this with you know so little of the postseason decided well, it's so great because, all right, we know the one team that is guaranteed a spot, at least in the Portland Thorns who won the Shield, but then you look at two through seven is still wide open, or two through six. Where, where is Orlando right now? Um, Orlando, out, Orlando's yeah. out, but but two through seven yeah, are all still fighting for spots. So, yeah. So exactly. I mean, so I mean Rain and those, Washington are in, but their seating isn't finished. Right. So one of them is going to have a bye week, but we don't know who. Is it going to be O.L. Rain? Is it going to be Washington? Um, can Gotham win their final two games after tying last night? 
like that's a huge question. What goes on and makes it exciting for those four final days is because there is still a lot of unknown. And I have to wonder with like all these players playing so many games and with the international break, if maybe a coach or two would like to solidify that second spot if they could have to have like, all right, we know we can give certain players a break and now they can't do that. Essentially everyone's going to have to play as they look to get, you know, that second through sixth seeding. And of course you've got three teams that can play spoiler with Louisville, Kansas city and Orlando now out after last weekend. And last night, um, Gotham could have clinched with a win. I was a little surprised that they only came away with a draw, even though Kansas city has been so fierce at home. I kind of felt just, you know, looking at the starting lineups that Kansas city had a lot more starters out than Gotham. So I was was like, it's not going to be easy, but I felt like Gotham should have been able to punch their ticket to the playoffs. But you call, you called that game. What were your thoughts on that game? Yeah, that was the game going in. It's like, all right, Gotham, you punch your ticket, you know you're in, and then you can decide what you want to do in those final two games in terms of resting players or trying to play for that second seed and going that. So I was a little surprised, but the way that Kansas City has kind of progressed throughout the season, they started really poorly, and then they started to find their legs as a team. They started to find what works for them at Legends Field. And, you know, now unbeaten in their last seven, they found a recipe that has led to success for them Unfortunately for them, I'm sure they wish they would have found this a little bit earlier, but they were just hitting on all cylinders. They never give up. That's like another big thing about that team. Even when they're down, they still find a way to get themselves and keep themselves in games. And that was like one of the huge things that you saw last night was that fight. And then, of course, you have the foul in the box, ultimately giving them that 1-1 score. And then in the second half, I'm thinking, all right, Gotham, you got to go for this, try to get the win but they could just never pull away. It just seemed like every player on Kansas City side was playing back and forth, whether it was on offense or defense, trying to make sure that Gotham did not get a win. It was it was a real fun game. And that's why I like teams that are motivated like that to, to play spoiler or to play for pride, to play for the home fans when you know you're out of the playoffs. But, you know, Kansas City, I, I like how just because how the schedule fell um, – especially with that rescheduled game that they have this great stretch at home to finish mm-hmm. a, a, the regular season. Right. So the fans in a way getting rewarded, um, you know, as the team's play has improved at home. So even though, you know, you're not in the playoffs, I would, I think you're giving the fans the the feeling of like, Oh, 2022 is going to be great. Like, look at these pieces coming together. We're going to be moving into children's mercy park across the street. You know, like they're, they're going to, I guess at some point announce what the actual team name and logo <laughs> and custom jerseys are going to be. I keep forgetting that, you know, we've, we've never gotten the, you know, the the full announcement of that, but yeah, like, like props to Kansas city and props to Louisville, right? Like last weekend eliminating Orlando, right? I, I wouldn't Mm -hmm. have, I wouldn't have predicted that either. Um, but they're like, you know, we're playing for ourselves. We're playing for our fans and, you know, no reason for us to roll over and let you, you know, stay in playoff contention, Orlando. (laughs) That's kind of how it felt. It's like you look at those two teams since they've been at the bottom for a majority of the season. They're also playing for their jobs, like whether it's with Racing Louisville or Kansas City or another NWSL team next year 
or one of the new expansion sides. It's like you still want to perform. You still want to play well to show why you have value in this league and why you'd be good if it's not on the current team you're on, on another one and why you can help a team find success throughout a season. Yeah, every every minute played is so important, you know, and like you were talking about the, you know, international absences, you know, so we had several players out for Kansas City and Gotham last night. So we, you know, saw a few different starters and then coming back next week, um, you know, I, I think it will be interesting to see how the international break does impact, especially that Thursday fixture with Gotham at Louisville. That was, you know, the other rescheduled game. Um, in this window, because you know your internationals, USA and can and Canada are playing Tuesday night, right? I mean, they're not playing that far away, but that's still, you know, you would travel and not really have any training time with your team. Anyone coming back from Europe, right? Like that's going to be a, a, a pretty long stretch. Um, Estelle Johnson for Gotham coming back from Africa. I'm thinking she's not in that that Thursday match because her, her Cameroon match would be, I think Tuesday, you know, so that's, that's, mm-hmm. that's there. There's a lot of travel factored into that. You know, it's definitely going to affect that Thursday match, possibly the Friday fixture, which is what uh, Orlando hosting Chicago um, probably shouldn't affect the, you know, the weekend matches, but like you mentioned, it does, you know, with teams not having clinched a playoff berth or, you know, clinched a spot they were hoping to get you know before this break it does it keeps the focus so much on these final games and you know as you know I'm always working on the scenarios and it's just it's so frustrating because you know I have to keep double checking and triple checking and we've got all the the you know since head-to-head is the the first tiebreaker um, something that keeps catching me up is, is that, okay, so three teams are tied on points. You go through the tiebreakers and then decide who's first. And then you would take the next two teams and go through the tiebreakers again, that you don't determine an order one, two, three from the beginning. You kind of like keep cycling through to break the ties. I'm like, oh, this is just, <laughs> and trying to, trying to figure out, you know, for the benefit of our, of our producer, like, who can host, who can't host, who can finish second. Um, you know, I made myself a handy little chart of at least the season series head to head. So at least when it's only two teams, I can go, okay, yeah, Gotham has this tiebreaker or Houston has this tiebreaker. Um, it's, it's going to be such a weird weekend. Right. And for some of the teams, like you look at Houston they'll know before they go into uh, their game Sunday, what North Carolina did at Portland the night before. If North Carolina loses Portland's in, uh, sorry, Houston's in before they play, um, before, before they play Washington. Right. And, and if you're a coach, you don't necessarily want that for your players, right? You, you want to like go into, you want them to go into the final game fighting for something so that you've got like some momentum going into the final weekend right it's it's just weird like i was thinking i was like okay you know that's that's one of the many things we need to put on our list of evolving to having a decision day for nwsl right where like all of these games are kind of kicking off at the same time <laughs> right right where no one's looking at the scoreboard and no one has an idea of what's happening that, that would be great 
Yeah, you know, like, it's like to have. I guess this year, I mean, you would have five games on the same day. If you could say have all those games kick at whatever it is, four p.m., seven p.m., whatever time, that would be exciting. <laughs> yeah, or at least the ones that you know we know affect each other. Like, of course, you know, MLS decision day. The league's large enough, you know, where they've got East and West divisions, so they can, you know, they don't all the games don't have to be at the same time. They just could kind of doing here are the East ones and here are the West ones, right? Right. right. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll we'll get there. Um, but I love how competitive it is because anytime I hear someone say it or I see a post online of how um, the European the European leagues are, you know, the Women's Super League is the best or you know, the Spanish league is the best or whatever. And just like, I, you know, I, I'm sorry, they may be best because they, they're in Europe or they're connected to the champions league, or they have these amazing Galacticos players in them. But I'm sorry if, if, if best equals most competitive, that's NWSL by far, you know, that, that you can have a team like Kansas city holding the the shield winner scoreless right like the you, you wouldn't see that in any other league to see the bottom team so close uh you know with the first team and i and i love i love that it can be so competitive like that and that we you know that you can't have one team just come in and throw their money around and buy all the good players and everybody else suffers exactly that's like the one thing there's competition from front to back in the NWSL, it's like, if you look at some of those other leagues, yeah, they don't need to play their main players and they can still get a victory with bringing on, say, six substitutions to start a game against one of the lower seeds. Here, you can't do that in the NWSL, and that's one of the great things that separates it. And you look at, like, say, Kansas City and Race Louisville, now that they both have a season under their belt, now that they've been able to develop that chemistry and how they want to play, it's going to be fun to see where they go um, next year and see what they do. Especially, you know, is Louisville going to make Mario Sanchez the, you know, permanent head coach? Are they going to do a full-blown search? You know, um, we don't know what's going to happen with Washington coach-wise, with North Carolina coach-wise, um, Orlando, Becky Burley's in and around. Like, like um, so much has been happening and this it's so competitive going into the final weekend that it's like, I almost forget that like all of these questions, they're going to have to be answered in the off season. And then, Oh yeah. In December, we have the expansion draft, <laughs> a double expansion draft, no less. Right. Right. And, and then not well, long after that, you know, a college draft is just like whirlwind. It's like, and I'm glad about that too, because you know, we've had those really long off seasons, right? We're like, nothing is happening, you know? So it's, it's like, this is well, great. And it's like one of the coaching, uh, coaching spots that you left off is Portland. Like, what are they going to do replacing Mark Parsons? Like, right. It's, been, it's just like one of those teams where it's been, you know, continuity for the last five years with Parsons in charge, like who they bring in, how does that change? the locker room do they change tactic it's just another one that like just brings so much more excitement to the league um with all the other possible changes that we're going to see at some point down the road who stays who goes it's it's uh let's just say this off season is not going to be boring <laughs> so i was yeah i was making it that it'll be like Rory, of course, Rory Dames at Chicago, still the the longest tenured coach in Andy Russell and still with his original club. So I think that makes James Clarkson with the dash the second longest tenured <laughs> coach. Once, <laughs> in, once in Parson departs, 
Yeah, yeah. At the end of his third season, once uh, Parsons <laughs> departs for Netherlands. And then I, I think of Portland that, you know, obviously Mark doesn't leave until Portland season is done. Um, so, you know, and I'm sure that will be like, you know, some big goodbyes and, you know, private celebrations and, you know, events with with the club. And, and then the new person comes in, right? That's, that's a tough act to follow when you've had that, that consistency. And it's a pretty tight turnaround to expansion draft, then college draft, you know, preseason starting um, February 2nd. So, and, and I wonder, like, are they going to hire from within the league? Like we've seen, you know, like Gotham, you know, bringing on Scott Parkinson, Angel City going for Freya Coom, or do they go big name outside like San Diego, right, right. Casey Stoney? Well, that's like the thing that I always think about is like, I remember Mark Skinner talking about when he took over the Orlando gig and he was just talking about, you know, now having to watch film on college players and the whole draft aspect and how that's so much different than what it is over in the WSL where he came from. And you look at that's going to be the same thing for Casey Stoney coming over from Manchester United and how that changes things for her. Like, I wonder already how involved she is if she's watching, you know, some of these games in the Pac-12, SEC, ACC, and how that translates over to how they, they build that roster. It's going to be fun to talk to her at some point and see what went into her offseason as she's come over to the NWSL. And, you know, how what, what support people have they hired for her to be on yeah. top of that, if that's something that she's realized, it's like, hey, just get me an assistant coach who's all about college soccer, right? Right, right, you know, right. Like, right. Like, yeah. because because it is like it's unlike anything else in 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 soccer. If you if you're coming from outside of the the U.S. and it's such a huge landscape, right? And it and it's such a weird weird process if it's not something you grew up with <laughs> you know like right. like like we do and i wonder you know down the line is it something that the NWSL moves on from i i think it's still very much um a valid part of how we build teams um you know i've heard people say oh the fourth round picks never play i'm like that's not true why don't you talk to lola bonta or ryan williams or Kristen Hamilton. Yeah. Like, no, Veronica Latsko, like, like, no, when, when we only have four rounds and at this point there's only been at most 10 players per round, that's still 40 players coming out of what we have 333 division one teams, right? In women's soccer, that doesn't even count Division Two, II, Division Three, you know, and AIL. It's like there's plenty, plenty of, of well, and there's, talent out there's, there. There's plenty of players that don't even get drafted in those four rounds. You go back to Elizabeth Ball for Kansas City getting undrafted out of Penn State. Obviously, Bethany Balser, probably the biggest name right now, that was undrafted out of Spring Arbor in, in AIA school. It's just one of those ones where, like, all right, if they don't find you in those four rounds, they'll find you somewhere. And ultimately, if you're good enough, whether you're a fourth round, third round, first round pick or undrafted, they're going to find a spot for you on a roster. Well, I, I like that you brought up Elizabeth Ball because obviously a player coming out of Penn State, right? And a starter at Penn State. And we've seen a lot of Penn State players succeed in this league. But, you know, there's only 40 spots. And mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of the luck of it, which, you know, I, I, I think is the 
ultimately problematic part of it is like, you know, people say, well, I can't believe she didn't go in the first round. It's like, well, the teams that wanted a player like that didn't have a first round pick, right? It's just Mm -hmm. where, where you fall is, is always a strange thing, especially if you're a keeper, right? Like I think most teams have learned, it's like they don't need to, to waste a pick on a keeper unless it's, you know, like an 80 French or a Jane Campbell or a, you know, Caitlin Rowland kind of keeper, but it's, it's, it's so rare. Um, these, these last few drafts that, that, that we see many keepers chosen at all. So, yeah, I just, I feel like we're, um, the beginning of the next phase of NWSL and it's just, it's going to be a different wild west. Like I, I feel like I've used the phrase before, you know, NWSL. It's it's very wild west, but this is a whole new territory, mm-hmm. right? Like like we're in Westworld, but it's like a whole new season, right? <laughs> and like and and we don't know what's going to happen. Um, you know, rules are changing. Um, you know, Marla Messing coming in. Uh, just so much to be determined. Um, but that's why we watch, right? Right, right. It, it's fun. Like every time, like I call different teams games, like you can tell the teams who try to develop. And then there's the other teams that, you know, will sometimes like bring in the bigger names um, to their side that already have that veteran experience, whether it's here in the States or overseas, but you can just see that different mindset, which is also like one of the things that you look forward to and like how a club develops. Do they, keep it in-house or do they, they go out and get someone else from, from somewhere else to, to bring in and help develop the team that way. It's, it's just one of those fun things where you have different philosophies coming together. And that's like another great thing I love about this league. Well, that reminds me of something that, that Laura Harvey said on one of our broadcast calls, what, you know, when I asked her about like all the young talent that the rain has that we barely get to see, you know, Leah Pruitt, Sierra King, Allie Watt finally back, um, you know, from her 2020, injury um you know madison hammond who we saw a lot earlier in the season but you know not since since laura uh took over and and she's like yeah i want to develop those players and i'm focusing a lot on those players but let's be frank i was hired you know at this point of the season to get into the playoffs and you know it was a really short turnaround so we had to sacrifice short-term development (laughs) you know for hey let's let's get some success and then we can we can look at that. And, and I'm glad you brought that point up too, because what I think is going to be really interesting to see what happens with the rain is the players who are on loan. I'm assuming they go back, right? Marshawn, right, right. um, <laughs> I'm assuming they go back or do they, what? do they stay, you know, like that because they've been, they become such integral parts, you know, of, of that club. But, yeah, is that building for your future or not? Yeah, it's one of those things where you look at coming into this season, uh, Rain didn't have a keeper returning from last year's roster. They could very much uh, be in the same position uh, this year, depending on what happens, obviously, uh, next year in terms of, like, <laughs> and if, they, if they bring one of them back or who knows, they, you know, they could be looking for another keeper at some point. Yeah, well, and they like, they definitely need to be developing – you know, a backup keeper. Cause I think Bardsley is almost 37, Buadi 34, 35. At least, you know, at least she's been healthy, but it, it's like, yeah, you know, Ella Dieterich had what a game and a half, two games and a half. Um, 
they brought over Fallon, Tellus Joyce, we, you know, who we haven't seen. Mm-hmm. They sent Cosette Morche out on loan. You know, it's, it's like, yeah, you, you got to give those backup keepers minutes at, at some point. So, so right. yeah. Well, well, you, well Josh, you, you and like I could it. go. Go ahead. I was going to say, but you do look at a team like OL Reign with that depth that they have for those younger players, whether say it's Zero uh, King or maybe uh, Talentos Joyce, like at least they're developing with the players around it. When you have basically a, a top 11, like some of those players being the best in the world, it definitely makes for those practices to be more challenging and more game-like with the amount of talent that's on that roster. And that, and that's a good point. Um, and I think I, I've heard that from other coaches too, when they've talked about young players considering, you know, Oh, well maybe I'll go over to Europe if I don't get minutes here and then trying to impress upon them. Like, look at who you're practicing against here. <laughs> like you're, right, you're right. not necessarily going to get that, you know, somewhere else. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I definitely, I definitely ag- agree that, you know, it's, it's good for a player to get exposed to different playing styles and mix it up and, you know, leave home. But, you know, like I said before, we're, we're just so competitive here. Well, you and I could go right. around forever talking NWSL. So, so let me wrap it up with, you know, what are you looking for this final weekend? And, you know, how, how do you think it's all going to fall? Uh, I mean, um, we know Portland's in first, and that's really all we know. That's a great – I, I want to see um, if Racing Louisville can have another strong performance on Thursday against um, Gotham because that is going to be a huge game moving in towards the weekend on Sunday when those two teams – finish out like are we going to know if Gotham has booked a spot in the playoffs by the end of Thursday night or will they move on and then you look at probably what could be one of the most competitive games you have Houston Washington still trying to fight out for the final positions in terms of the playoffs obviously Washington has clinched a spot but Houston hasn't so Washington still is trying to find that you know one of those maybe if they can get that second seed and have that first round bye I think that's a huge thing and then I do wonder what Portland does with North Carolina, a team that's really struggled here, what they last their last three, I believe, maybe even four now for the courage. Right. Um, or, and it's one of those ones where can they turn things around, especially when you have Jess McDonald, Lynn Williams, Amy Rodriguez, you have those three lethal scores. What can they do to turn things around into that final weekend and try to pull out? Because it'll be weird seeing a team that was in back-to-back championships not make the playoffs here in 2021. Um, and then I guess three the straight, one, three straight finals. This yeah, is the yeah, first time they, they haven't have, finished right. first in the regular season. It's crazy. So you have that. And then of course, uh, Kansas city, another home game going against OL rain granted OL rain also plays on a baseball field, but can they upset another team or at least steal a point and change their dynamic going into that final game of the season. And, and ultimately as they push towards the playoffs. What I love about Kansas city rain as that final fixture is that's um that was where laura played let's see yeah her first game back with the rain as head coach was at kansas city in early august and they lost one zero in what was kansas city's first ever <laughs> you know club win um, right so so i I love all the storylines that that matchup brings that, uh, you know, they can, Kansas city can prevent rain from getting into the semifinals. 
You know, right. What's so, like fun about Kansas City right now, too, is they don't really have that standout player. You know, the the one that's, uh, I guess, the true right. big name, the big name star. I guess they did when they had Rodriguez. Everyone knew who she was. But now they're really building up. Who could that next big player in the NWSL be? And maybe we'll see, like, some flashes here in that final game for them. Yeah. I mean, Darian Jenkins definitely auditioning for that 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 for breakout sure, player sure. but 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 i love i love the team that that's being built there and can't wait to see uh what their actual logo and name are going to be <laughs> well I josh thank you so much with the red oh, go ahead color so yes i, I, I do hope they, they have to with those red and teal colors they they totally that was to. that was a good match and and i i think it's been well played by them for what they've had to do here since I guess it was December when this all came together for them. It's going to be fun how they see how they develop. Well, Josh, thank you so much for taking the time to to chat NWSL with me while we're actually not watching a game, while we're just just <laughs> talking about NWSL. We you know we're not distracted by a game on the screen in front of us, and we'll all be listening to you uh, next weekend, the four day weekend of NWSL action. It's going to be a fun way to close out the season. I can't wait to, to see what happens from spots two to six and who gets those final spots. All right, time to wrap it up with the back four. First, let me go over the playoff schedule again for NWSL. First round will be Sunday, November 7th. The number three seed will play the number six seed. And number four will host number five. One game will be on CBS Sports Network. The other will be on Paramount+. Plus. Um, just keep an eye on the schedule page of the NDBSL website to see which is which. <laughs> and then on Sunday, November 14th, number one seed Portland will host the winner of the four versus five game. And the number two seed, which is still undetermined, will host the winner of the number three versus number six game. Both of those games will air live on CBS Sports. And finally, the semifinal winners will meet at Lynn Family Stadium in Louisville on Saturday, November 20th. That game kicks off at noon Eastern on CBS, as in big CBS, broadcast CBS. That means for the first time in U.S. women's pro soccer history, the championship game, the league championship game, will be on broadcast TV. And yes, it will also be on Paramount Plus and Twitch at least Twitch for the international viewers. For more information about that game, to buy tickets, they're, they're approaching 5,000 tickets sold, which is wonderful. Check out nwslsoccer.com slash championship. And of course, if you're listening to this on Tuesday, October 26th, the U.S. women face South Korea again tonight in Minnesota in a friendly, which is Carly Lloyd's final U.S. women's national team game. It'll air live on Fox Sports 1. Coverage begins 6.30. Kickoff will be shortly after 7. And then the national team will take a break. Uh, After the NWSL season, they'll regroup for a few friendlies in Australia. And this will be the first time since the Olympics that Vlad Kononovsky can call whomever he wants for the roster. These last set of games, the ones against South Korea, the ones against Paraguay, contractually obligated to call up the Olympians. And then we've got a lot of college soccer coming up. The conference tournaments are about to get underway. Some start this weekend. Some start the middle of next week. I'll post a list um, as comprehensive as I can on KeeperNotes.com. 
Many of these tournaments offer free streams or, uh, or other affordable access. Some are on the radio. Um, some players in these tournaments, they're already claimed uh, by NWSL clubs in last January's draft. Uh, many will be part of the next draft. And of course, the NCAA tournament is set to kick off the weekend of November 12th to 14th with, with the Final Four, a.k.a. the College Cup set for Santa Clara, excuse me, San Jose, not Santa Clara, San Jose, California, uh, the first weekend of December. And last but not least, as we're getting ready for the playoffs, um, I plan to have a cute little NWSL playoffs almanac, just NWSL playoffs, all in one little document um, available for sale uh, by Monday, November 1st. So keep an eye on Twitter, keep an eye on keepernotes.com and other places like that. All right. Want to give thanks to Roughneck Scars and IcarusFC.com for their sponsorship. Want to give a big shout out to Beautiful Game Network for hosting this podcast. And also thanks to my producer, Sean, for making this podcast possible. But now she's anybody's girl.